Well, I'm Will Yeoman, and welcome to another episode of the Pod Well Travelled. I'm joined today by travel editor Stephen Scarfield, and we're going to take you around the world because, as Stephen says, on the cover of Sunday's travel section, the world is our oyster. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Will. Thanks. So, things are really opening up. Yeah, I think, look, you know, by this stage in the year, we really see, we can really see what's happening in the world of travel. We can see what people are doing, where they're going, and we can see what they're booking ahead for as well. So through the various booking systems, you know, it's quite interesting to see how Australians and West Australians in particular are shaping up their year of travel now that we're back out in the world. Yes, yeah, and uh, I think I think you've you've got a few select destinations that are already showing you know very very strong trends. Look, I have. I mean, if if you know the hot the hot kid on the block is Japan at the moment for bookings for bookings. So yes. yeah, and of course you know we're sort of straddling two seasons. So we've got a lot of Australians already in Japan for the um, ski and snowboarding mm, season. So yeah, right which, up in the north. Yeah, yeah, it's such. It's such an odd spot for that. I mean, the geography makes it odd. It gets this incredible light, dry, powdered mm-hmm. snow, as I'm sure lots mm-hmm. of Australians will know, um, through through force of geography. So you've got the very warm Japan Sea, which gets lots of transpiration. Mm-hmm. And you get these blasts of Siberian wind through it, which just creates this snow. Um, also, there's a, a great style of skiing, ski out, skiing there. So you stay in the snow, in a lodge, mm. and you literally sort of ski out of the back door. You put your skis on in the morning. You go out of the back door and you're on the snow, and then you ski back in the front door in the evening. You know, Amazing. So mm. unlike, say, skiing in New Zealand, where you tend to stay down in Queenstown or in, in town, and then you, every day you go up to the snow, this is a very different sort of experience. So that's on. And uh, just doing some research, the um, Japan Weather Association says that the cherry blossom season will start on March the 25th. There you go. Being very, very precise, of course. <laughs> and you, I mean, you know, you know all about that, of course. Well, well, the thing is, though, I'm, I'm always fascinated by that because on the one hand, you know, you've got cherry blossom season and to a lesser extent the autumn, you know, with the, with the lovely sort of russet leaves yeah. and everything coming out, which is amazing as well. But they're obviously the peak times. So you, yes. you sort of think to yourself, well, should I, if unless I'm so desperate to see these, should I just hang off for when it's yeah, a little quieter? It's a really good point, Will. It's mm. a really good point, you know. And I think it applies to travel generally. That some of us like shoulder seasons, you know, yes. just like those, like as you're suggesting, those slightly quieter times that the whole world will be there on March the 25th, you know, for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Converging on, exactly. It'll be just- so you might want to be there on the 20th, or you might want to be there. Uh, in April, you know, so later in April, sort of thing. You're yeah. exactly right. Um, and as, look, you just pointed out something which I sort of hadn't said and missed is that the the foliage change is just so amazing. You know, it's it's an incredible time of year. So any time that you get those shifts in Japan, it's it's very beautiful. And of course, the nature of I guess the nature of the culture is to um, you know celebrate those natural phenomena as much as they do their own built phenomena you know i'm just mm. looking at all the temples and castles there thinking about those but then you've got the 
nature on top of it. No, exactly right. Yeah, and, and you, know, you can understand why it is such a popular destination, um, particularly for us yeah. in Australia. And Kyoto, of course, is super, which is somewhere you know well. Mm, it's, it's, mm, just you know, beautiful, you know, the history. And yeah, for someone who's looking for something just a little more old-fashioned, a little less frenetic than Tokyo, you know, Kyoto is usually the, the go-to place, isn't mm. it? Mm. Well, good point. Good so, point. so there's Japan. So, what, what else is Yeah, we, of course, uh, particularly out of West Australia, but out of Australia, you know, Bali is, has always been this sort of um, extension of Australia in some ways. You know, it's a little bit of Asia, I suppose. It's, it's really changed. It's changed a bit because there's kind of two Bali's in my mind now. You know, there's, there is the old kind of Kuta... You know, and the, the, the sort of cheap barley, I suppose I'd have to say, yes. and, you know, the sort of uh, crowded places like that. But then, you know, there's, there's another end to barley, which is, you know, um, luxury is not really the word, I suppose, but, you know, it's expensive. You know, there are great places to stay, very isolated, beautiful places to stay. So there's kind of two choices there. And what I'm, it does come back to money in a sense. And you can either go kind of cheap as chips. Or you can pay international prices for, you know, very wonderful places to stay. Um, so that's that's quite interesting. And the tr- the whole trend there is a bit more towards you know booking um, booking airfares separately and booking accommodation that you like. I guess. Right. So yeah. we're sort of seeing Bali just fragment a bit, um, and and at the bottom end, look. Well, it's not really the it's not fair to say the bottom end. I'm just looking at a five night deal at the Grand Mirage, mm. which is um, yeah, a very nice five-star property with unlimited food and drinks for sixteen ninety-nine for two people. You know, so wow. kind of you have got that going on in Bali. But, I mean, you're literally just getting ready to go up there yourself. This afternoon, for the first time, which will, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are some listeners now picking themselves up off the floor because they can't believe that, <laughs> particularly travel writer. <laughs> Hasn't yeah, even been to travel Bali. writer, born and bred in West Australia. Mm. Not been to yeah, Bali. It's amazing. So, look. So, where are you, where are you going? Well, it's That's interesting. So, going. I'm going for um, a relatively short stay at Kama Kandara, which is in, um, is it Ungasan? I'm, I'm seeing, I don't even know how to pronounce all yeah. these names. Ungasan's yeah. a beautiful yeah. coastal yeah. sort of resort. So, yeah. I guess, it, I guess yeah. that is looking at the second of those two options that you were just discussing. Exactly okay. right. I mm. mean, you know, you're going somewhere very beautiful. And, um, you know, you. I guess you know you get a, a refined experience there. So yes, without, without well, preempting it, of course. No, no, no. But look, you, you've, it's one of those places where you do have your own yeah. villa, your own pool, those kinds yeah. of things. So there's a certain level of luxury. But over and above that, I think just looking at the surrounding countryside and where it's situated, the the natural aspect is, mm. just looks extraordinary. Yeah, completely right. Okay, well that's that's good. So you're you're off this afternoon. Off this afternoon, yeah. Um, flying Jetstar too. On that subject, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting for us in West Australia because we've got Jetstar Air Asia and Batik. Yes, but we've still got Garuda Indonesia conspicuously absent. That you know, is interesting, uh, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean they've just uh, increased flights between Melbourne and Denpasar. You know, and they're flying into Sydney, and you go, well, "What's going you on? Know, we're aware yeah. of all that. Yeah, bizarre. That's... Can't get any answers out of them. Anyway." Well, listeners, if anyone out there can answer that question, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't be yeah, sure. Well, they won't answer us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sure. But look, that's interesting. But yeah, again, like with any destination, there are a number of um, you know 
flying options depending on your budget sure. and time Absolutely. and so forth. But we, we do That's try right. to travel as best as we can as anyone else would because right. we, we want to report back to you, you know, the actual experience. Yep. And yep. that's important to say. Exactly right. We're, um, on airlines, we're seeing very strong, you know, consistent travel between uh, Perth and Singapore, mm. with, with Singapore mm. Airlines, mm. and with Scoot, particularly with Singapore Airlines. Um, what, what about Singapore? Oh, sorry, can I just interrupt you? What about sorry, Singapore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Singapore as a destination. How's that looking? Yeah, well, year? you see, it comes, yeah, it comes into its own this year mm. because, I mean, there are, you know, we have all been through what we've been through. And there are people, lots of our readers, audience, who are venturing back out into the world, but perhaps don't want to go too far, mm. want security, want to feel that they can get home, you know, all those sort of comforts, I suppose, in their travel just while they're, while we're re-emerging from our chrysalis. And um, Singapore, you know, offers all of that, where it's a very well, well-run, well-managed city as we to these days, as we all know, and um, Singapore Airlines, you know, you just can't get past that. Indeed. So, so Singapore's providing Asia and a different cultural experience. For all of us who've been, you know, trundling around WA for a couple of years, mm. provides that cultural change. Five hours, less than, less than five hours flight away, and with, with that sort of peace of mind, I suppose. So, yeah, we're certainly seeing that. We're seeing airfares at around about from about 700 return, you know, and yes, um, sure. also yeah. just I'll put on people's um, people's radar that the Singapore Grand Prix is in September, and that's a fantastic weekend. So, you know, the Grand Prix under lights. But all, all the shows and stuff, all everything that happens around it is great. So mm. that's coming up as mm, well. Mm, mm. Um, just thinking about thinking ahead, then we've got we've got the Antarctica season, which is November yes. to March out of mm. South America, out of Ushuaia or Punta Arenas, but mainly Ushuaia, mm. and uh, that's that's booking very solidly. So, but interestingly, you know, there was a huge demand last year, and and there is you know a lot of demand for that this year, but there's still capacity, and I, I'm I really actually sort of thought that by March probably you'd be really scratching for a cabin, but not so. So mm. you can still get on ships. Um, we're looking at, you know, really compared with previous years, I mean, I'm just looking at Hershey Rutan's 12-day highlights of Antarctica, which is that classic sort of a Shire, Drake Passage, Explored Peninsula, come back, mm. from 10,335 per person to mm. share. Mm. Well, that's that's a very good price. Mm. Um, we've got a we've got a nine day trip with Aurora, which is an Australian company. Mm. From it's it's American dollars, but it's nine nine forty. So you know they're in the same sort of ballpark, different yeah. length of yeah. trips, of course. But yeah. you know, in in that sort of ballpark. So I'm I'm pretty interested in that. What I am interested with Hershey Bruton is that they have no single supplement on selected departures. And I can okay. almost hear some people out there hooping and hollering. So <laughs> like a, about time. It's such a, <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's such a, it's such a bugbear, isn't it, for so mm, many people? No, um, absolutely. Hurtie Rutan, incidentally, it's a Norwegian company. It's spelt H-U-R-T-I-G-R-U-T-E-N. Yes. But I'm 
reliably informed one doesn't announce the, uh, pronounce the chick, but it's a Norwegian company, 130th anniversary this year. How's that? So fantastic company. That is um, amazing. Yeah, that that. Yeah. So you know, uh, still still got berths on uh, in Antarctica. Um, the still on air. You know, the the direct flight, the Qantas direct flight to London's very busy. You know, you're booking a long way ahead for that. But there's a lot of access. I mean, I just booked, I'm going to the UK on Monday. Mm. Of, uh, no, sorry, Sunday night. Sunday night. At the end fact, of the yeah. York Festival with mm. you, yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, I booked that a couple of days ago with Emirates, and it was a it's $3,000 return mm. at about, you know, a week's, oh, just over a week's notice. So that's not bad. That's not I mean, bad, that's yeah. Really, yeah. We keep hearing, you know, social media is full of, the extortion to airfares. Well, at short notice, before the pandemic, I would have expected to pay three thousand dollars to book a week out. Mm. And do I'm going on very specific times. I'm mm. going on the Sunday night, coming back on Thursday, mm. and I want to fly into Birmingham. So I've got very specific criteria, and I'm still only paying three thousand dollars, which is you know incredible. Yes, yeah, so taking into account. Mm. Yeah, incredible. And that's just literally going on their website and looking like everyone else. So, 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 so over and um, above the whole friends and family thing, though, what's what's the yep. UK looking like as as a destination as well? Oh, look, it's all it's all about the coronation. <laughs> May the sixth, <laughs> goodness. May the sixth, King Charles III coronation. They're so talking about family. That that's the other. family. With, <laughs> family with, with a capital with F. A, with a surname like yours, shame on you. The for firm. Asking. Look, I, I'm not. Look, I, I, I'll, confe- I'll confess here on the pod that I'm not a royalist, so I have very little interest with a, in. Uh, with a surname like Yeoman, you should no, be ashamed. I, I, well, yeah. Um, yeah, it's all about that because you know, uh, not just the day itself, of course, the event itself, but mm. the whole build-up um, in in England will be something to to experience for yes. a lot of people. So. Leading into that, all the things that will happen, flags and excitement. So May the 60th today for the coronation, I'll be waving my flag, even if I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, and, then, and then cruising, you know. I mean, yes. I, I just, I'm, I've said this before, but I'll repeat, I, I, I was sort of caught out really in my thinking about how fast cruising would start. Mm. I expected expedition small boat cruising to start small ship cruising and then it's built up but everything everywhere short term long term big ships small ships it's just uh, everyone's and, and people who are cruising are very confident about everything yeah look and Stephen partly because of that we've kind of reassembled a, um, a you know a new team oh, we have. haven't we you want to talk we about have. that a little bit well, mm. well this for me is the story of the week you know Michael Ferranti who's a, a you know, a great part of the friends, the, the team, and a great friend of all of us because we we are all friends. Uh, has rejoined the team, so Michael, um, you know, we, we we published right through the pandemic, but mm. smaller sizes, and that you know, mm. obviously Michael as a cruise writer, you know, uh, did other things within Seven West Media and still is, and, and is very valued right through the company. But has come back to us last Saturday. Edition, he came back to us as cruise writer, mm. and then Saturday night he was actually in Sydney on Saturday. Mm. And uh, last Saturday night he won the Cruise Line Industry Association Media Award for Australasia, mm. which is you know better than the national Just award. Fantastic. So I'm complete. Yes. You know, we're all 
URI and Moans. We're all pennies. We're all completely thrilled for him. Look, I'll be, I'm going to be a, a bit un, unguarded here and say, in doing so, he beat finalists from supplements published in the Sydney Morning Herald, The Age, The Sun Herald, The Sunday Age, mm. and nationally, mm. in the escape lived out of news corporation papers across Australia. Mm. So for, for us, little old Perth, I tell you what, Mike was an absolute diamond, so we're thrilled for him. And uh, it was a very, very fine story, which was published in our pages. Yes, um, and just such great timing too, that he just happened to be joining, rejoining our team at yep. the same time. Yeah, everything's lined up again, you mm. know, so we're, mm. everything's great for Mike. I'm mean, very pleased about that. There are a couple of other big wins uh, for... Uh, you know, a lot of the audience will be familiar to us with Fitch and Travel, which is a West Australian yes. company, also won the Small Cruise Agency of the Year. Oh, that was okay. their ninth win. Wow. Which is pretty, very they're, impressive. They're doing something right. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And at Night Travel, which we have a very good relationship with, named Large Cruise Agency of the Year. So, right. so it's a very good wins there. Uh, it's a massive night in Sydney. Uh, I've been over to myself before and mm. it's a big night. So, mm. so once again, you know, it just, Michael Franny is back. Yay, we're very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and look, and of course, we can look forward to having Michael right here on the Podwell Travel in the future. Yeah, Michael's going to be a very big part of the pod. Mm. He's going to be uh, writing for Saturday Travel and Sunday Travel. His stories will be on thewest.com.au forward slash travel. And, you know, he's, they'll crop up in e-travel as well, which you sign up for at westtravelclub.com.au. Just register to be a member, mm-hmm. which basically means you get e-travel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it. Hey, I did that thing for you. What? Did you see me? I just snuck that in. Yeah, all the... yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> think I don't notice these things. I'll... I'm just thinking about you going to Bali. I want to get get you packed. Yeah. But thank you. Look, um, right. that's great. So, well, uh, good. Well, I think now I should sit you down and make you a nice cup of tea. A nice cup of tea, and here we go. Hello, hello. Yes. No, no. That's awfully kind. Yes, but another day. I'm frightfully busy. Yes. Thank Mr. you very much. What I is want it? You to listen to this song of mine. A song. Yes. Song. Must you? I really must. Must you get it out of your system? Yes, I I'll play it for you. Yeah, thanks, awfully, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> dear, dear. Sounds like the one I heard yesterday. It couldn't have been. No? No. I think it's awfully good. Uh, Mr. Buchanan. Yes, what is it? May I have your autograph? Autograph? I can't write, I'm sorry. I've got a new book space yeah, but I'm very busy. I've come a long way, you know. Yes. Equally long way to go back, too, isn't it? Yes. Goodbye. Hello, hello. Oh, no, I'm sorry, no. Your tea, Mr. Buchanan. Tea? Ah, oh, that's different, bless your heart. Every nation in creation has its favorite drink. France is famous for its wine, its beer in Germany. Turkey has its coffee, and they serve it black of an ink. Russians go for vodka, and England loves its tea. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a lack zoom a wee but there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. Oh, a lawyer in the courtroom in the middle of a nice cup of tea. Go on, love, put the kettle on. Let's have a nice cup of tea. All around the world, kettles are being put on and nice cups of tea are being made. Is it your cup of tea? A nice cup of tea? According to legend, 
tea drinking was discovered in 2737 BC by Chinese Emperor Sheng Ning when leaves accidentally blew into his pot of boiling water. The British eventually took it to India and in 1867 James Taylor took the only holiday of his life to Assam in northeast India and brought back tea bush seeds to his home in Ceylon where they'd all been planting coffee but a leaf disease had destroyed the industry. And I'm in Sri Lanka now in the highlands near Hatton in mist and damp where people in bright colours pluck tea leaves with long, strong brown fingers, precisely where James Taylor planted those seeds. Tea bushes cover these hills like fluffy green balls of cotton wool in marching lines. They're plucked four times a month, the best tea coming from the bud and top two leaves. Tea likes to be high. It likes to be over a thousand metres above sea level. It loves being at 1,400. This is Norwood Estate, from whence probably comes the popular brand of Yorkshire tea, tea of substance. I see three signs over Norwood Estate's factory door. No smoking, no beetle chewing, no child labour. An estate of substance. Pluckers start at 7.45am, the harvest brought to the factory and the leaves first spread to wither before being rolled in machines almost identical to those used in the 1860s. The leaves are chopped small in mincers, left to complete their precise oxidation, dried at 120 degrees C, sifted and graded and bagged in sacks. A shoot plucked at 7.45am is turned into black tea by 7.45am the next day. 20,000 kilograms of green leaf handled on one estate in one day turned into 5,000 kilograms of tea. Within three weeks, the tea has been sold and turned into cash and everyone can sit back and relax and have a nice cup of tea. White, green, black, oolong. 13 billion kilograms of Camellia sinensis, hand-picked around the world each year. Yes, it's enough to make you need a cup of tea and a lie-down. Tea travelled to China, from China to Victorian England, and got celebrity endorsement from Queen Anne. Expensive. It was drunk in tiny cups without milk or sugar. It started the traditions of my childhood. High tea in good china with saucers and white bread sandwiches with the crusts cut off. In Boston, in 1773, they had a party. They refused to let three ships of tea unload, then dumped it in the harbour. Yes, it was quite a party. Today, Americans drink 50 billion cups of tea a year. And people in the United Kingdom drink 62 billion. Britain is the world's second biggest tea drinking nation behind Ireland, where on average each person drinks 1,460 cups a year, precisely four cups a day for 365 days. In Australia, we produce about 750 million cups of tea a year, Black, green, 
oolong and others, with most of it, 85%, on the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland, but some in New South Wales and Victoria and Tasmania. Of course, I'm not the first writer to turn my attention to tea. In 1945, George Orwell published a piece called A Nice Cup of Tea in his collected essays, Journalism and Letters. He listed 11 outstanding points for making a perfect cuppa. Among them, outstanding point. Make tea in a pot of china or earthenware as tea out of an urn or is always tasteless. Outstanding point. Warming the pot beforehand is better done by placing it on the hob than swishing it with hot water. Outstanding point. Drink it out of a cylindrical cup, not a flat, shallow type. Outstanding point. Make it strong. And of course, George Orwell wasn't the first to turn his attention to the finer points of making tea. After the Nazis unleashed the Blitz on 16 English cities between September 1940 and May 1941, the British were officially advised to keep calm and carry on and preserve small moments of normalcy where possible. Of course, that meant drinking tea. And not just any old tea, but good tea. To that end... The Empire Tea Bureau made a 10-minute film in 1941, Tea Making Tips. Tea Making Tip. Store tea leaves away from cheese, soap and spices. Tea Making Tip. Use fresh water. Stale water makes stale tea, which no one needs, especially in wartime. Tea Making Tip. Don't add milk to the tea too soon. Wait for the last possible minute. Wait until you see the whites of their eyes, boys. What would they have thought of the tea-bagging machines invented in the 1950s? It's all serious stuff. But tea lends itself to one-liners too. What would you drink with King Charles? Royal tea. How does Moses make his tea? He brews it. And what's the difference between the Fremantle Dockers and a tea bag? A tea bag should stay in the cup longer. Enough of that. Put the kettle on. Keep calm. Carry on. Let's have a nice cup of tea. Indigenous Australians drank an infusion of leaves which Captain James Cook saw and called tea. The leptospermum became the tea tree. Tea was shipped with the first fleet in 1788 and in 1883 Alfred Bushell opened the first tea shop in Australia. Ah, bushels. As the swagman waltzed his Matilda sipped Billy Tea, a strong black brew with a handful of gum leaves swung four times. The old indigenous people of the Kimberley taught me to drink black tea by the bucket before a day's cattle mustering. Nothing else all day, no sipping water until tea at night stops you sweating out your minerals but our taste is becoming more refined. Sales of standard tea in Australia have been falling at the same rate as the rise of sales in specialty teas. It seems we Australians like quality. Tea drinking in China might date back to nearly 2800 BC, 
But for the rest of us, well, it probably dates back to breakfast time. Or actually, just a few minutes ago. Anyone for a freshen up? Go on, love. Put the kettle on. Let's have a nice cup of tea. (music) 